I'm Rick Dulock, and this is Inland Edition. People with disabilities have had to fight for their rights in our free country, just as oppressed minority groups have had to do. Stereotyping and stigmatization over centuries has led to marginalization and lack of opportunity for many, many people. But things have improved, and there are good people on the front lines of this fight. We'll hear from one of them on this episode of the program. So today on Inland Edition, KVCR's Lillian Vasquez speaks with Philip Kahn Pauly. He's the policy director for Respectability. Our guest is Philip Kahn Pauly. He's the policy director for Respectability. Welcome and thank you for joining us. I am so delighted to be speaking with you today. So first share a little bit about your nonprofit, your mission, and its goals. Absolutely. RespectAbility is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit disability inclusion organization dedicated to fighting stigmas and advancing opportunities for people with disabilities across the country. We are dedicated to advancing good public policy that gets more people with disabilities into the workforce. We work with leaders in Hollywood to improve representation of people with disabilities through authentic storytelling. And we also run a national leadership program to train the next generation of disability leaders in the skills they need to succeed. Okay. Well, I understand you recently submitted testimony on disability issues in California. As part of your testimony, you have some positive data to share, even with the pandemic. Will you share a little bit of what you shared in the testimony? My organization, as part of our systemic work to help educate state leaders on how to support more people with disabilities getting into the workforce, shared that this is actually one of the most exciting and historic times to be working in disability employment ever. We all, all Americans, people with and without disabilities, have you know significantly experienced disruptions based on the COVID-19 pandemic. But the fact that our economy is surging forward is actually creating unprecedented opportunity for people with disabilities. According to the most recent Census Bureau data, the labor force participation rate for working age people with disabilities is actually higher now in December 2021 than it was pre-pandemic. Now, what that means is that more people with disabilities are applying for work, they're entering the workforce, they're completing training programs, they are getting jobs and becoming taxpayers, earning an income and you know, contributing to society just like anyone else. I'm really excited because this means that there are literally thousands of new potential employees who want to work or are striving to work and can actually, you know, enter into the knowledge economy thanks to advances in assistive technology and remote work options. There are lots of people with disabilities who are going back into that customer-facing service sector. And there's also really significant expansion of caring economy jobs to help people with disabilities become caregivers to older Americans. And that is a win-win-win for businesses, for employers, and for the wider disability community. Okay, so I did read in some ways that this has been a silver lining. And is that based on the the telework? And can you share the details how this has been a silver lining for this population? Absolutely. So I mentioned before that this has been a, you know, a really extraordinarily difficult couple of years for you know, people with and without disabilities. But even before anybody had ever heard the term COVID or pandemic, workers with disabilities had been requesting remote work as an option for working for you know, advanced professional jobs. Technology has been around for a long time. The Internet has been around for a long time. And as long as there has been an Internet, workers with disabilities have been asking for options to be able to work from home based on the fact that they may have transportation 
transportation difficulties. They may have physical disabilities that make getting up and getting to an office on a day-to-day basis difficult or challenging. And when companies had to make the switch from in-person work to remote work, this opened tremendous pathways. Accommodations and requests and technology that people with disabilities had been wanting for years, like manifested and materialized overnight. Suddenly, everybody was running meetings through Zoom. Zoom itself, as well as Microsoft, have significantly expanded captioning and transcription services, which is really important for workers who may be hard of hearing or deaf. You know, assistive technology has significantly expanded. Speech-to-text software is available on every phone out of the box these days, and it's no longer a really expensive software addition you have to pay for separately. And so this has opened, you know, tremendous pathways into the workforce. And the fact that work is no longer necessarily tied to an office in a downtown location means also that employers have had to really significantly rethink what are the requirements of the job? What are the basic functions you need an employee to do? And because they've done that, they've kind of cast a wider net of workers. And that has caught up a lot of workers with disabilities who actually can do a remote job who might not be able to get on a bus every day and go downtown to go work in an office due to whatever disability issues they may experience. And did we see that growth right away in those with disabilities? Were they just immediately able to apply for some of these positions? Or how did it come to fruition so quickly? It's been an interesting evolution. Like um, workers with disabilities experience kind of some of the most immediate effects of the COVID pandemic's economic consequences right away. There are lots of people with disabilities who work in customer-facing jobs, in retail, in hospitality, um, and actually about 1 million workers with disabilities lost their jobs in the first four months of the pandemic, which is a huge loss. But as you know, this extended series of circumstances continued, companies were embracing Zoom, they were getting on Microsoft Teams, the technology was updating every couple of weeks. I remember, you know, every week it felt like Zoom was releasing a new software update with new features and new accessibility. And because they've done that, it's really opened new pathways, um, you know, more jobs. As companies were, you know, getting past the initial hurdles, they were starting to post more jobs, you know, like trying to figure out that this is not going to be a short-term problem and that they're going to have to really think about how do they change hiring processes. And so as 2020 came to an end, we started seeing an uptick in the labor force uh, participation of people with disabilities, and that participation rate has significantly increased over the course of 2021. So did you hear from, obviously you're an advocate for this population, did you hear from those that you serve right away and say, hey, hey, Philip, we're, we're hearing from, you know, there's more opportunities, we're doing this. So how is that feeding back into your office? Well, I will say that in my own office, we used to have staff based in Washington, D.C., almost exclusively, and then we spent a lot of time traveling to California to do our entertainment industry advocacy work. As soon as our organization itself made the switch, um, we were really kind of innovating and really trying to prove, like, how do you successfully onboard people, try to embody some of the best practices that we wanted to see reflected in many of our employment partners. As the pandemic extended back in 2020, you know, many of the people that we know, whether they're through our employment work or through our actual connections with the disability community, were actually starting to see their accommodation requests approved. Employers were coming to us to ask, well, how do we actually, like, run virtual meetings? Um, And in response, my organization put together a lot of toolkits for employers, toolkits for employees in terms of job seekers with disabilities, guides about what are new pathways into the workforce. And so we responded very fluidly to a rapidly emerging situation to really say that, you know, people with disabilities bring tremendous talent if you just give them a chance. And the fact that employers really need workers now more than ever 
they're more than willing to embrace a remote worker. They're more than willing to look past kind of the cookie cutter expectations of what a worker looks like. And because they're doing that, it's the sky's limit. Okay, very good. Let me reintroduce our guest is Philip Conpoly. He is the policy director for Respectability. Now, Philip, I want to ask a little bit about what disability population are you including or are you advocating for? Well, I'll put it this way. The disability community is huge, and it has only grown in the last 20 months of the pandemic. There are approximately 66 million Americans with some form of disability. Now, the issue there is that many people with disabilities are gain their disabilities over time due to accident, illness, or aging. My priority is with the 22 million working age people with disabilities between the ages of 18 and 65. You know, by focusing on that 22 million number, we are really working to convince state leaders to understand what the population of potential workers with disabilities are in their state, um, and then also figuring out where those states can actually have an impact. Um, One of the ways that we dial that in is we present to state leaders really detailed data on transition age youth with disabilities, which is a really critical subset of our population. About, you know, 300,000 youth with disabilities age out of the school system every year. Many of them graduate with their high school degrees. Others drop out. Others age out without actually getting a diploma. And that is a talent pipeline that if employers and states really engage with and focus on, they can make a tremendous difference. Now, I will say that my organization is dedicated to issues impacting people across the entire spectrum of disability. We care about issues of visible and non-visible disabilities. We have resources and information for people with mental health conditions, people in the autism spectrum. We do a lot of advocacy work around physical accessibility issues among wheelchair users and other folks who have mobility needs. And we also are big champions of improving captioning and auditory accessibility for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. So we work on behalf of anyone and everyone who has a disability and wants to work. And why is Hollywood so important to you? You're in Washington, but you come to California because of the Hollywood connection. Tell me, tell me about that. Well, it's really simple. Culture precedes politics. The culture that we have as a nation, the stories that we watch, the binge television we consume on a daily basis, it shapes our worldview. It shapes how we act as workers, as managers, and it reflects our values. And so my organization has been guided by the tagline of fighting stigmas, advancing opportunities since we were founded in 2013. The idea there is that, you know, if you want to affect systems change, if you want to change policy in Washington, if you want to change how hiring managers think about workers with disabilities, you got to go upstream and actually change the way that people tell stories by promoting authentic representation of disability through actors with disabilities, workers behind the camera, writers with disabilities telling authentic stories about what it means to be a person with a disability. So that's why I always talk about Hollywood. It's also a huge industry, not just in California, but in other states like Georgia, New Jersey. There's, you know, filmmaking is a huge business. And where there's business, there is a need for workers with disabilities. And if we can have an impact in changing stories, it's going to change people's minds. And then in turn is going to open more pathways into the contemporary American economy. Got it. You're listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We're talking with Philip Conpoly. He's the Policy Director for Respectability. We're going to take a break right now, but when we continue, we'll share more on our conversation about respectability and those that are advocating for our population with, of those with disabilities. Stay with us. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Our guest is Philip Conpoli. He's the policy director for Respectability, a nonprofit that is working in Washington, but really working throughout the United States to make life better and working ability better for those with disabilities. Share where you feel the status of workers with disabilities is headed in this economy. You've been talking about kind of the silver lining of the pandemic and how it really helped those with disabilities to start working. Where do you see it going from here? It seems like it would only go forward in a positive way. Absolutely. And I actually think that there's a tremendous opportunity for employers to really embrace diversity of leadership. Over the course of the last year, there's been many conversations as a nation about racial justice issues, social inequality, and I think those are all really important. And one of the most important ways that we can affect social change is in the employment space by giving leadership opportunities to people who represent diverse communities and bring their lived experience to work. Now that we have so many more professionals with disabilities giving back value and bringing their talent into the workforce, um, I think the challenge now for employers is to really raise those people up and give them the chance to become leaders within their companies. One of the inclusion best practices that we advocate for is something called an employee resource group and an ERG as it's called is a subgroup within a company of employees who have similar lived experiences, come from similar racial or ethnic backgrounds, have a common interest in certain issues. And by getting a group of those employees together, they can then go to the leadership of their company and say, this is what makes me a happy employee here. Here are ways that we can, you know, make happier employees. At the same time, an ERG can also advocate for improving inclusion and things like pay or, you know, improving workplace culture. And then I think then that creates an opportunity for people from those communities, from those points of lived experience to actually become leaders within their companies. And that then I think will kind of fast track more people into leadership positions because we need more leaders with disabilities, just like we need more workers with disabilities. Got it. You have an open mic right now. I want you to kind of talk to the employers. What do you want employers either that have hired or that maybe have never hired, what do you want them to learn from this interview? What, what do you say to them if you're talking directly to CEOs throughout our Inland Empire region? I'd say as a disability employment advocate talking to a CEO, I think the most important thing is you need to dig in and answer two questions. First and foremost, what are the most essential functions of the job that you need a worker to accomplish? And I'm not talking about like the ability to lift 50 pounds or having software certifications. I mean, really, what do you need a worker to do? Like, what are the very specific tasks that a worker needs to accomplish. And then from there, if you really dig in and look at it, you know, that's going to remove a lot of the automatic barriers that keep a lot of talented workers with disabilities from getting hired. The second piece that I would say to employers is if you want a loyal, dedicated workforce that is going to give back, bring value, and bring innovative thinking to the jobs you're hiring for, that's why and where you need to hire workers with disabilities. You know, the statistics show that workers with disabilities, once you hire them, they don't leave. They're dedicated, they're loyal, they are show up on time. As long as their disability issues are being met and accommodated, they will, you know, have lower turnover rates, which means you're going to have lower labor costs, which means you're going to get more value from that hire. And if you give them the chance to grow and be promoted and develop as a professional, you're going to get tremendous value and you're going to get an innovative hard worker um, who's going to really make your company successful. Why do you think in the past, and maybe still, employers might be reluctant to hire? 
I think it's, you know, really breaks down into kind of misconceptions about what it takes to succeed at being an inclusive employer. Um, I mentioned before that, you know, in years past, speech to text software was actually kind of expensive. Nowadays, everybody uses Siri, everybody uses Alexa. That's voice recognition technology. That is a point of technology that a worker with a disability could use to dictate an email without ever getting out of their power wheelchair. The costs that are associated with assistive technology have bottomed out. They most accommodations cost less than five hundred dollars. Whether it's getting you know additional software, whether it's putting in a ramp, the costs of actually hiring a talented worker with a disability are a lot lower than they were in the past. And I also think that you know we are really seeing kind of a sea change of companies recognizing that their consumers want workers who look like them and as such they want brands to be inclusive they want companies to succeed that really make a commitment to diversity and actually put bucks to bullets and actually hire people from diverse communities and so i think that's where we're seeing that cultural change i think that you know as our nation grows the disability community keeps growing. Um, many more people with disabilities recognize that they have a disability, whether it's a visible or an invisible condition. And as change happens, stigmas recede and the value of workers with disabilities is being proven time and again. And you know what? Companies need every competitive advantage they can find. And that competitive advantage can sometimes be having a diverse workforce. So the bottom line was cost. And you're saying the costs have come down. So now it's something they should invest in or look towards for the betterment of their company. Exactly. Okay. Now, I want to ask you, what do you want individuals with disabilities and their parents of adults with disabilities to hear from this interview if they are not working or have been discouraged Um, in the past? Well, I would say first and foremost, it is a new day and it is a new labor force that is hungry for talent, that is hungry for workers. There are actually many programs that can actually help people with disabilities who are currently receiving state benefits to actually earn an income, not lose their benefits, get to work, build up some experience and actually become fully financially independent. You know, for people with disabilities, there are now ABLE accounts. ABLE is a savings account that is tax-free that can help defray some of the costs associated with living with a disability. ABLE account money can be put to paying for a college degree or paying for a new wheelchair, and that creates kind of a buffer for some greater social stability for people with disabilities who may want to actually start working part-time. Likewise, if you are a parent of a young kid with a disability who's really worried about their pathway into the future, well, now's the time to start thinking about it. You know, people with disabilities have tremendous talent if we invest in them early and we invest in them often. If you have a kid who's in middle school or early high school, there are tremendous resources available through state workforce development systems. There is something called pre-employment transition services that can actually help youth with disabilities who's receiving special education to start thinking about the skills they need to learn to go into the workforce. And also there's, you know, so many more programs that are now accessible for older adults with disabilities who may want to go back to work or may never have thought about work. So the barriers are lower. There's more pathways to get support. And together, the opportunities are out there if you go out and follow them. Let me reintroduce our guest is Philip Conpala. He's the policy director for Respectability. Now, lastly, Philip, I want to ask you, how did you fall into this line of work? You sound so passionate about it. (laughs) Well, um, I will say this. I was born into it. My mother was a a woman with chronic disability conditions who lived with a lot of internalized stigma. 
but she nevertheless raised me right and helped raise somebody who would, you know, try and change the world to be a better place. As I've pursued my professional pathway, I knew that I wanted a degree in public policy to affect change. I will say that over time, um, I have developed my own invisible disability conditions, and really embracing that identity has driven me to, you know, leverage my experiences to help others and to really prove the value that people with disabilities bring to the table. And that's why I'm passionate about this work, and it's why I'm so excited for what the future holds for the 22 million working-age Americans with disabilities. Philip Conpoly is the Policy Director for Respectability. Philip, thank you so much for what you're doing for this population and for our country. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. For more information, visit the RespectAbility website at respectability.org. We'll include a link when we post this episode on our program page. Join us again after the holidays for Inland Edition Season 3. You'll find it at this time and place in the new year on KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org forward slash Inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or search for Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including hosting and editing, comes from Lillian Vasquez, Shereen Awad, and David Fleming. And we get technical, website, and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm Rick Dulock. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe and have a happy holiday season. <music>